Morning. I'm going to take a moment and enjoy this view. Because after months of meeting online only, March through July, it has been a joy for me to be with you in this room. And so um, that's been a joy, and that's my preference. Um, but we're glad to honor our governing authorities and honor God by doing that and, and love, show love for others, too, um, by taking the next two weeks to um, join together on Sunday mornings online only. So I'm glad that all of you are out there. I'm glad that God has blessed us with the technology to gather in that way as well. So uh, welcome all of you as well. So thankful for you. And... Um, and thankful for Ed this morning, good word, uh, opportunities to praise and find um, joy in what God is doing, uh, no matter the circumstances, so thankful for that. Well, we are in a series of messages that we entitled uh, Knowing God, and it's a season, an opportunity for us to contemplate what, what is true about God. We've been each Sunday trying to consider an attribute of God something that would cause us to reflect on his greatness, you know, his, his otherness. You know, there are lots of things about God that, that he then instilled in us, ways that we are similar to God, attributes that we even have in common. And yet, isn't it true, though, that we're discovering that there's so much about God that is also just completely other than us? You know what I mean? And so it's a great opportunity these weeks we wanted to do that, to consider God's greatness so that, so that we can uh, worship him and, and be thankful for him. And so I was, I, was, I was thankful for Ed's comments a few minutes ago, but, you know, actually I was kind of irritated with Ed, you know. No, <laughs> actually I was kind of frustrated with Ed about his sermon topic last week. I'm, this is tongue-in-cheek, just in case it doesn't come across, okay? I was... I'm frustrated with Ed because we're in a series of messages we're calling Knowing God. And then last week he came to you with the attribute of God that God is incomprehensible. Doesn't that, that seems to like, come on, you're like going against the flow. No, no, actually, I'm teasing, of course. I was super encouraged by God's word to us last Sunday through Ed. And, and I was super excited and to ponder his incomprehensibility. Um, if you weren't with us, this idea that, that, that God cannot be fully known. We can't, he is other. He is so other than us that we cannot fully uh, understand. And that should put us then, Ed encouraged us, that should put us then in awe and, and have us instill wonder in us and, and have us be excited about God's greatness because of that. And yet, how, how exciting is this, though, that, that despite the, that reality that God is incomprehensible, Pastor Ed also reminded us last Sunday that God is knowable. We cannot fully understand him, but he has revealed himself to us and made himself known that we as mere human beings can know him, know the unknowable God, know the incomprehensible God. And I'm just thankful for that, that God reveals himself to us through the word of God and uh, through his son, Jesus Christ. So, uh, This morning's attribute, I think, is in this category that we're already talking about. This morning's attribute we're going to talk about is God's independence. And um, this is also in this category of, of how, how completely other 
than us. God is. His independence. And here's um, on the screen part, part of, of a definition we'll look at from one of my theological resources. The definition of God's independence is this, that God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything. Now, we're going to complete that definition. There's a little more to it, but I want to wait till later because I want to start here. That God does not need us. And so maybe the questions that come to my mind this morning are, are things that kind of put us in our place a bit, you know? And I don't think that has to be a negative term. That as we consider the otherness of God, there's a way in which it kind of puts us in our place. And it maybe raises this question for me of, what do I bring to the table? What, what do I really offer? What do you and I bring to the table that, that is the reality of God's existence? And, and, and be careful here. We're going to get to the rest of this definition later. I'm not saying that, we're, that we as human beings, his creation, are unimportant. I'm not saying that we're insignificant. I think we'll find out some about that insignificance as we continue this. We'll find out about some of our significance <laughs> as we can continue this morning. But, but for now, let's start with this, this reality that God is completely independent of us. And this attribute is um, sometimes referred to as his self-existence or uh, a fancy theological word, his aseity, which comes from the Latin ase, meaning from self. Or if we apply this reality to God, it would be from himself. I want to, I uh, real quick before we continue looking at scriptures here, I want to just say that I feel like this morning is a little less sermon than usual. And instead, um, I am just going to walk us through, and you're going to see them on the screen, a series of scriptures that I want us to ponder. I feel like I'm a little bit less sermon, less teaching this morning, and more journeying with you, looking through the scriptures, asking God to speak to us through his word. Okay, So when it comes to his aseity, that God is from himself, where might we see this in scripture? Well, John 5, 26 is on the screen. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So this complete, this otherness of God, his independence or his self-existence that we want to think about this morning a little bit, means that, that God is underived. He hasn't been derived from something else. God is his existence is necessary. His, his existence is not dependent on anything else. He is, he is not contingent upon anything else. God is, is, is not limited by anything. God is completely free, and God is self-determined. He is from himself. He is independent. He is completely other. He has self-existence. And this, this, this uh, is, is something to be pondered. Because we sometimes, I think, think we have more to contribute than we do. That God, that God somehow depends on us to do certain things or to fix things or to, or to, uh, or, or to, you know, to be important in some, in some way that I don't think is, was intended. God was not created. He never came into being. The Bible is, is clear in many places that God was, is, and is to come. Psalm 90 shows us this on the screen. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, 
from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then in, in Exodus 3, we, there, there's, this, uh, there's this story of God's people in Exodus 3 where you, you may recall the story of the burning bush where Moses, one of the leaders of God's people, experiences and talks with God at the burning bush. And God is, is asking of Moses to step out in faith, to lead God's people. And Moses is wrestling with this, and Moses is not sure what God's talking about. And one of the questions that Moses goes to God with is, God, if I go to your people and I say that you sent me, and they ask me, well, who sent you? What God? What's his name? This is God's answer to Moses. When Moses wanted to tell God's people who was sending him, Exodus 3.14 tells us that God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am. Was, is, and is to come. Self-existent. Independent. Not created. He is God. Another study resource that I was studying this week put it this way, that God does not depend on the world or anyone in it for his existence. He just is, right? He does not depend on the world or other humans or his creation. He doesn't depend on anybody in it for his existence. God has life in itself, in himself. And we see this also in Acts. Look with me at Acts 17 on the screen. The God who made the world and everything in it Being Lord of heaven and earth, that God does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. I love that phrase in there. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. I I need to check myself. We need to be careful with our behaviors and our actions and and, and be careful not to come across in a way or especially to treat God in a way as if he somehow is dependent on me and what I do and and what I can offer him. It says he is not served by human hands. He gives life and breath and everything. God does not need anything from mankind. And we see this also. God says to Job, who has first given to me that I should repay him? God says, who's given me anything that I should owe them in return or that I should have to pay something back? Because whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. No one has ever contributed something to God that did not first come from God. Everything we do have to offer him is because he gives life and breath. Everything that is used for honor and glory and worship of God has first come from him, the God, the creator of all things. We see this also in Psalm 50. Psalm 50 has these words, For every beast of the forest is mine, God says, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the fields is mine. 
If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. I would not, if I were hungry, God says, I would not tell you because I've got it under control. I've got everything I need. If I were hungry, I'm pretty sure I know where to go. So, so hopefully with some of these scriptures to reflect on, we've kind of been reminded this morning of this complete, this, this way in which God is so entirely other, different, not like me, not like you and I. Now, I said, there are some attributes of God that we share. The creator created us in his image. There are things that he has instilled in us that are true of him, love, that he has put into us that we don't reflect perfectly, but that we reflect of his character. So there are attributes that God made us to be like him, but there are also these attributes of God, these characteristics of God, these realities about God where, that I'm wanting us to wrestle with that he is just completely other. And so uh, we can try to get our head around this otherness. We can try to get our head around how he is independent, self-existent. But where might that lead us if we're not careful? What kind of questions might that cause us to ponder? Well, then, why did he create me? Why did he create humans? If God is so entirely other, if he is non-dependent, if he doesn't need anything from me, then why did he create humans? Maybe he was lonely. Nope. Maybe he was lonely and he needed to create humans so he'd have some company. Nope. Now, we don't have time to go into the doctrine of the Trinity, nor could I explain it to you if I tried. That we have one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who was, who is, and is to come. One God in three persons was, is, and is to come. God himself has enjoyed community and has not been lonely for all of time. So he did not create you and I because he was lonely. We know that the Trinity, God, the one God in three persons, enjoyed community uh, and, and love for one another eternally. So what do we bring to the table? Why did he create humans? What do we have to offer? Since God doesn't need us, is there a point to our existence? Well, I want to go back to that definition from my theology textbook about this characteristic of God we're we're discussing this morning called independence. Let's put the rest of that up. We looked at the first part earlier that God does not need us or the rest of the creation for anything. But then look what the definition continues to say. Yet we and the rest of creation can glorify God and bring him joy. He doesn't need us. He is not dependent on us. He is completely self-existent. And yet he brought us into being. He created us that we might bring honor and glory and praise to him, that our lives might reflect his goodness, that we might point everyone around us to enjoy the beauty of God, to magnify, to kind of have our lives be, be, a, be a reflector and, and a pointer to his greatness. He created us for, for the opportunity we have to give him glory. 
And this boggles my mind that we, fallen, imperfect, rebellious, sinful human beings, can bring God joy. In Isaiah 43, 7, God refers to his children as everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. So first, I've got a couple scriptures here to show us that God created us, that we might bring him glory. There's Isaiah 43, 7. My children are those who I created for my glory. And Ephesians 1:12 says, so that we were the first, to, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In theological circles, there's an expression uh, that goes this way, the chief end of man. In other words, our our goal, our purpose, the, the reason for humanity, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Do you hear that, church family? To enjoy him forever. Sometimes I think we get caught up in, 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 the, in the greatness of God and in the, in almost in the scariness of God and in the, and in the I, I, I need to get my act together and I need to behave and I need to follow rules. The chief end of man is that we give glory to God and enjoy him. He created us for those reasons. Revelation 4.11 says it this way, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. God is completely other. He, he, he doesn't need us. And yet, here's, here's where we need to know you are loved, you are significant. You are known by God. It is true that he is self-existent and independent, that he doesn't depend on our existence, that there's nothing that we bring to the table that makes him exist or that makes things okay for him. But that's not to say that you're not important. That's not to say that your life is insignificant. You are loved. God knows you. He sees you. You are significant. And that's for these things that we've just been talking about, that our lives might bring him glory. And as I mentioned, this one that's hard to get my mind around, that, that, that he can find joy in us, that he, that he delights in me and my mess, that he delights in me. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Church family, you are so loved and so significant in the eyes of God as you live for him, he exults over you. You give him delight. He finds joy in your life lived for him. So does God need us? No. But what do we bring to the table? Why did God create us? So that as we know him, as we follow him, as we obey him, as we serve for him, as we live our lives for him, we bring God glory. And the way we respond and the way we live for him gives him joy. 
Father God, thank you for an opportunity to spend a few minutes in your word this morning. Father God, I thank you for the power of your word that you've given us in the written word in our Bible. God, thank you for this, 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 uh, this book in our laps that you've given us to point us to you. God, thank you for creating us in your image in ways that we are similar and in ways that we are not similar. Thank you for giving us uh, brains and intelligence to think these things through and to consider something incomprehensible about you, to consider how utterly other than us you are, how independent and self-existent you are. God, I pray that that would humble us. I pray that as we look, lift our eyes to you and look upon your greatness, that it would humble us. That we would look to you in awe and wonder and excitement and thankfulness that you, the great and completely other independent God, would, would pursue us, would create us, would pursue us, would, would desire to know us and rescue us through the cross of Christ. So God, would you teach us to live for you in, in, in all that we do? Would you, um, would you help us, Lord, to, to be so uh, humbled and thankful and in awe of you that we surrender ourselves to you, that we submit our lives to you, that we, that we would, that we would uh, desire that our words and actions be conformed according to your purposes and that we would offer ourselves for your glory and so that you would find joy in us. So we want to continue now in worship. And God, we want to just offer our thanks to you in these various ways. We want to lift our prayers. We'll have a chance to sing, worship through music. God, we have our chance to bring our offerings. May we do so with hearts of thankfulness, in awe of all that you have done for us through Christ. God, we thank you for the cross where you where you sent your son to live and die and be raised again so that we too can have life. We give our offerings, we say our prayers, we lift our voices, we live our lives for your glory and your delight. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.